Good to see everybody. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, let me find my own play. Okay, there I am. There's my iPhone. Put that in my pocket. Glasses. And let me pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this morning and um, for your word. I just pray that you would give us favor in both speaking and hearing. And uh, may your word accomplish all that you want it to accomplish in our life. And uh, may you have your way with us and just encourage us today. Um, I know this is a month of a lot of things going on in the month of May for many of us and a lot of things happening and school is ending and, and uh, so encourage us as we're going through all of that and, uh, and help us to know more how to follow Christ with our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me read 1 Timothy chapter 4 and I want to read the kind of the beginning and then the end of the chapter and then I'll start talking about it. 1 Timothy 4, it says here in verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it, is, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, if you jump down to the end of the chapter, let me pick it up in um, uh, verse 15. He says to Timothy, the pastor, uh, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, the kind of the broad context is verse 1 when it says, that the Spirit says that in later times some will depart from the faith. Now that phrase, later times, in some of the translations and in the New Testament is known as the last days. In fact, everybody say last days. All right, now the last days are a period of time from the time when Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God all the way to the time when he will come back again. That whole section of, of the history of humanity in the New Testament is considered the last days or the, or the last times, as it says here. That phrase is brought up in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In the last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. It's brought up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the pivotal chapters that converted me, actually, where it talks about in the last days... People will you know, be all messed up, jacked up. Uh, jacked up means messed up. Um, so the last days, uh, it reminds me of the psalmist when he says in Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, when the foundations are destroyed, 
What shall the righteous do? The foundations being destroyed is the last days. So the whole teaching about the last days in the New Testament is that it's a period of time when humanity and the world won't get better, it'll get worse. When people will go from bad to worse, from dark to blackest of darkness, from from semi-evil to really evil. I mean, the last days, the time from... Jesus going up to heaven, the time he comes back, it's going to get worse and worse. And so he talks about our life in the last days, in this time of being messed up. It reminds me of the Billy Carrington song, that great poet of our modern days, Billy Carrington. And he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are jacked up. Right? Actually, he says people are crazy, but I changed the song. People are crazy. That's last days. And, and the psalm says, what shall the righteous do in the last days? How shall we respond? Uh, how shall we now live in the last days? And I can tell you that last week we talked about, as a church, corporately, how now shall we live in a time like this? We talked about that the 21st century is a lot like the 1st century. Uh, American culture is a lot like the Roman Empire in the 1st century when Christianity spread. So the New Testament is more relevant than ever before in how we shall live in the last days in a time such as this when the foundations are destroyed and everything's messed up and as they say back where I come from they're going to hell in a handbasket you know what I mean how shall we live and last week we looked at it as a church corporately we need good leadership we need the good news we need good mission we need to be reaching out we need to be an open church where we're welcoming people to receive Jesus and that thing corporately But chapter 4 is more individually. What shall we do as individuals in our individual lives when we're out there representing the church, not when we're in here together? It's more individual. In fact, you can see it here in chapter 4. What he's doing, guys, I really struggle in the first service communicating this message. I'm going to try to get it better. You guys always get the cream of the crop. You know it? Like first service is like rehearsal. He's telling this young pastor, look, Timothy, you've got to model the faith for everybody so that they can follow your example as individuals. You as an individual, Timothy, have to live and believe a certain way so that other people can see you believing and living a certain way and they will want to emulate you as a pastor. So you see that the application is for me, first of all, as a pastor, this chapter is really talking to me about how to be a pastor as an individual. But the reason why I need to live in a certain way in the last days and teach in a certain way is so that you can, as an individual, live in a certain way. And you saw that in verse 16. He says, here's the big idea, keep a close watch on yourself. In these last days, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Verse 15, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all, everybody say all, all may see your progress. So I'm to live my life so that everybody can see I'm getting better. Everybody say, get better. better. Progress. Don't say progress, but you know, I need to be progressing 
And you should see that modeled. And so what does this chapter teach us about how we shall live in times like this? How now shall we live individually and as families? It's, it's a scary time, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, raise kids in this time. To, to bring up our little ones in this culture, we get scared and full of fear and anxiety. And we go, we go what in the world is going on? The first thing you need to do as individuals, and what this chapter tells us, is we must set our hope on the living God. You have to ask yourself as an individual in your heart and in your mind as you're living in the last days, as you're watching the world go to hell in a handbasket, as you're watching everything's all messed up, as you're watching everything being uh, twisted and turned and everything like that, you have to guard your heart and you have to set your hope on the living God. And you have to ask yourself on a regular basis, especially in times such as this, where's my hope today? Where is my hope? (laughs) Because if your hope is misplaced, then your anxiety will increase, your fear will increase, your faith will shrivel and and, and get small, and, and you'll start getting jittery. And when people look at you, they'll say, man, that person is scared. And when you start living scared, you start making bad decisions, you start depending upon functional saviors that aren't really saviors. You begin depending on substances or money or materialism or stuff or whatever, and you're just, you're just getting jittery because you've set your hope in the wrong place. Is your hope set on the living God? False teachers were coming into this church and they were saying, you know, you need to abstain from marriage. You need to abstain from eating really good food. Uh, They believed in a type of dualism in the second century would become Gnosticism. But they would say that all physical material is bad and evil. And you need to abstain from that. You need to withdraw from the world. You need to become, uh, uh, you need to make your body suffer so that you can experience spiritual enlightenment And Paul's like, well, you're not setting. These teachers are coming in with these demonic teachings, and they're not setting their hope in the living God. And the living God is the creator God. Look at verse 4. He says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. He goes on to say, if you put these things, God being creator, God creating all things, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, working out's good, that's sweet, that's good news, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise, For the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Is your hope, 
in the living God in such a way to where you can be happy in unhappy times? Is your, living, is your hope in the living God and is your vision of God so awesome and so beautiful and, and so phenomenally sovereign? And, and is your hope in the living God who sees the end from the beginning, whose purposes won't be thwarted, who's bringing us not to a bad end but to a good end, who's bringing a kingdom where there's no tears, no pain, no sickness, no sorrow? Is your hope in the living God as you live in these last days? You have to ask yourself that every day. Because if it is, people will see it. If it is, you won't be so anxious. But when we get anxious, see, especially God-fearing people, when God-fearing people get anxious in days like this, what ultimately we're saying is, is that our hope is not in the living God, but what people are doing or what politicians are doing or what they're saying in the media or what the commercials are saying or what television shows are out there. Not that that shouldn't be evaluated and there shouldn't be some righteous indignation, but when we begin to get anxious and we shudder in fear and we tremble at this world, which we have nothing to negotiate with anymore then we're sinning because we're leaving that living hope in the living God this God he says this God that we believe in is the creator God he created the heavens and the earth and when it says that all things that God created are to be received with thanksgiving By the word of God and by prayer. When it says the word of God, he's referring to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God created the the earth and he said, and he saw everything, and it says that he declared that it was all good. It's important that your hope is in the living creator God. He knows what he's doing. And not only is he the creator God, but he goes on to say that this God, our hope is in the living God who is the Savior. Look at verse 13, or pardon me, verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people especially of those who believe. And there is a sense to where he's the savior of all people, believers and unbelievers. There's what we call common grace. Everybody, every time we get up and we suck air, every time we're able to take another step, every time we're able to put our feet on that cold central Illinois, pardon me, that human, humid central Illinois floor, and we stand up and we put on clothes and we kiss our spouse, we hug those we love, everything we have is by the grace of God. God is saving even the unsaved every single day by allowing them to live. Every breath, every atom, every neutron in their body that's banging together is allowed by the grace of God. He is the Savior of all people, but Paul says he's especially the Savior of those who believe. Because there's specific grace, there's 
particular grace which comes into our hearts and it redeems us and it forgives us of our sins and it makes us right. And Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, God in the flesh, died in our place and gives us the right to stand in the presence of God, gives us the right to pray. And our living hope is in the living God who is our Savior. And don't you see... Beloved Romans 8, it says, If God has given us his only begotten son, how will he not freely give us all things? And Romans 8 says he's working all things out for the good of those who are called, who love him, who are called according to his purposes. It means that we walk in faith and not in doubt. We walk in belief, not in unbelief. We know that he's working all things out for his glory. Even the bad stuff he will use as a tapestry for his glory and for his might. And at the end of of the day when it's all said and done and we're standing there and we're standing in the presence of God we'll look at everything he allowed and everything he did sovereignly and we will see it as something that is totally beautiful and it all makes sense in the end even the sad things will become untrue in the end you have to live with that hope in this world You can't walk with your head down. You have to walk with your eyes up. You can't walk doubting that things aren't going to work out for good. They will work out for good because ultimately our God is on the throne. How shall we live in the last days? That's why, we come, that's why we come together for church. I mean, my whole vision for Cross Point Church is just that we'll blast out of here every Sunday with resurrection joy, defiantly saying to a lost world, my God stands, my God is alive. When we walk out of here, even when we have to repent of sin, even when we have to get confronted by the word of God, we'll still walk out of here with hope because we're saved by the living God. How shall we live? We shall live with hope in the living God, the creator of the world, the savior of our lives. Secondly, and finally, how shall we live? We shall live letting this living God set the agenda for our life. This is important. You have to let the living God, whom you hope in, who is your Savior, who is your Creator, who is your Maker, you have to let Him set the lifestyle agenda for your life. You you cannot let the false demonic teaching of our culture that says you can make your own God, you can make your own lifestyle, you get to create your own little life thing, and then you get to come to God and say, bless it, God. As opposed to, you have to let God set the lifestyle agenda for your life in these last days. He says in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Man, that is a refrigerator verse, verse 8, or put it in your wallet verse, or put it in your car and look at it every day, or whatever. But godliness, you know, godliness, what is godliness? 
I've talked about this before. I'll tell you again. Godliness is the knowledge of God and the conduct that is the result of knowing God. So godliness is not just morality. Godliness is not just like I'm a good person. That's not godliness. There's a lot of moral people who are not godly people. A lot, of, a lot of people get the job done. They provide for their families. They're good for society, whatever, but they don't know God. They're not godly. Godliness is conduct that comes out of our life as the result of first knowing God and being in relationship with God in our heart. God sets the lifestyle agenda, and he starts from the inside out, and then... You go down to, we get more specific of how you, what areas to let God set the agenda for your lifestyle. He says in verse 12, verse 11, let me start in verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. So he's talking to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, don't let anybody in the church look down on your youth. Amen. Right on. Take that. He says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The result of knowing the living God should result in lifestyle changes in our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity. Speech. Let me start with speech. Let God set the agenda for your, as my mom said to me, your mouth. Now, see, my mom was the type. She was a little short German lady. And when she got mad, she'd grow. (laughs) And if I start talking at the lip and at the mouth... She was the most terrifying woman in the world. And it was hit or miss whether she was drinking or not. So, I mean, you know, you add that to it. Wow. An angry German who liked beer. Amen. She'd grow. She'd stick things in my mouth like soap or sometimes she'd just give me that little slap. She didn't beat me. But, you know, I mean, she did. But. One time she took a big pen. I'll never forget it. I was sitting at the table with her, and I had my hands out on the table as a teenager, and I popped off. And can you imagine me popping off? No. But I did. And I popped off, and she took a big pen, and before I could even move my hand, she hit my hand ten times. So it went like, ba 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 ba. And I went, oh. But one time, I was at school, sixth grade. Brian and Jeff didn't like each other, but I was their friend. And I decided I was bored, so I'd start a fight. So in the bathroom, I said to Jeff, hey, Jeff, Brian called you a punk. And then I stood back to see what would happen. And they got in a huge fight, massive fight, got suspended, everything. And, of course, I was so evil and depraved as a child that I I loved it. I go home, and the principal had called my mother and said, your son started a fight between Jeff and Brian. And my mom made me, she sat me down, and she made me copy 50 times the following verse about my speech. James chapter 3, verse 6. 
and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Fifty times I wrote that, which explains why I'm so disturbing to you. But anyways... Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And God wants to set the agenda for our lifestyle, for the things that we say to each other. He wants us to watch our mouth. And he, want, he doesn't want us to, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to look at us and just say, you better say what's right. He wants us to give him our heart so that out of the abundance of what he does in our heart, good things come out of our mouth, not bad things. And if we got nothing good to say, as my mama used to say, then don't say nothing at all. Amen. We have to live differently in the way we talk to each other. We have to live differently in the last days and, and how we speak. And we have to protect the environment that the world is, the type of environment that the world is unwilling to protect. They're protecting all of the environment except for the most important environment, the, the environment of harmony and love and relationship. That's the environment that needs to be cleaned up. That's the pollution that needs to be taken out. That's where we need some emission policies in the world is in what we say. Because there's a lot of exhaust coming out of mouths. There's a lot of bad fumes coming out of our lives and the way we talk to each other in our homes and the way we talk to our kids and the way we talk about each other behind our backs. There's a lot of hot air. And it's toxic and it's poisonous and you have to let God determine the agenda for your mouth. goes on to talk about not only our speech, but our conduct, how we behave. I think that's for children. Children behave right. My girl's always telling me, I can't wait to be a daddy when I grow up so I can stay up late and watch movies. <laughs> Man, you've got to be on your best behavior. Daddy gets to stay up late. 1 Peter chapter 2, somewhere around verse 10. Keep your conduct good among the Gentiles. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. No doubt that's talking about conduct that slows down corruption like salt slows down corruption in meat. Our conduct is to slow down corruption in culture. How we parent, how we relate, how we behave. Conduct. You have to let God determine the agenda for the conduct in your life, your speech, your conduct. The third thing is your love. Set the believers an example in your speech and your conduct in your love, your sacrificial love, your unconditional love. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. You show the world what you believe about God by how you love. And you show the world what you believe about God by how you have forgiving love. I, I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with 
young couples right now, and I always tell them, I always say, you know, the most important thing you're going to do as a, as a wife or as a husband is forgive. <laughs> True or false? You're going to have to forgive every single day almost. It's nuts. It's only two problems with every marriage, the man and the woman. And love, how we love one another, how we forgive one another, how we uh, major in the majors, minor in the minors, love sacrificially, love each other like Jesus loved us, forgiving and redeeming and helping and loving. And we have to love sinners. You have to love people in your neighborhood. You have to love people at your work. You have to love people like God has loved you. You can't hate them. You can't curse them. You can't pray them into hell, beloved. Did Jesus let you go to hell? No, he saved you. He saved you despite yourself. He loves you even though you're unlovely. He loves you unconditionally. And that teaches you how you are to love people in this world. Stop cursing so much at people. Stop letting their actions or their behavior or their lifestyle bother you so much. Pray that they might be loved like you have been loved. Forgiven like you have been forgiven. You were a lost cause at one point in time. And in many ways you still are, I'm sure. Love. Faith. Your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, that word in John MacArthur's commentary talks about that that's not talking about a set of beliefs. That's talking more about faithfulness. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let, let your be faithful person. Keep your commitments. Let God set the agenda of your commitment in this world. And then finally, not only speech, conduct, love, faith, but also purity. And that's talking about sexual purity. Let God set the agenda for your sexual life, for your sexuality, married and unmarried. As married people, we are faithful. We don't commit adultery. We protect our marriage. Our marriages are mutual and exclusive. And also, men and women watch what their eyes are watching. They stay pure in how they see one another. They don't take second and third and fourth glances. They don't look at images on the computer that are wrong. Let God set the agenda for your sexual life. And if you're not married, let God set the agenda for your life. By abstaining and remembering that sex is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. You have to wait and abstain. And you got to let God determine your lifestyle. And you have to give him your heart. And you got to give him your body. And you got to let him change your life. How shall we live in these last days? See, you don't live in the last days and say, well, culture has just changed. That is just over. That is so primitive. That whole Christian sexuality thing, that has changed. No, it hasn't. God doesn't change. He created the heavens and the earth. And God is the Savior of our life. And you have to let the living God determine the agenda for your life. You have to let God determine your lifestyle. Now, how, how, did, the, how did the Christians change the Roman Empire? How did, they change, how did they spread the gospel in the Roman Empire with all these gods and all these temples and their culture, the Roman Empire culture, just like our culture and our society? How did they do it? And there's a letter, it's a famous letter, uh, written uh, towards the end of the second century, uh, written by a disciple of Jesus 
to a dude by the name of Dignatus. Dignatus. It's a letter to to Dignatus. Don't try that at home. And he's telling, uh, he's telling him uh, about Christians and, and why they're different and what, what it is that about their life and their lifestyle and what they believe that's so unique to their culture. And I really imagine that Paul in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is imagining a church and individuals and people who, uh, who, when the foundations are destroyed in the last days, live like this. But I think this is a clue to, to why Christians were able to change their world. And I think it's a clue to how we're going to change our world in the 21st century should the Lord tarry. And so let me read you part of this letter. Uh, he says to Dignatus, he says... And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives, that is, these Christians. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. That's an interesting phrase. They don't expose their children. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon the earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, they yet live on that level that transcends the law. Christians love all men. But all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death but raised to life again. This is important. They live in poverty but enrich many. They are totally destitute but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor but that is their glory. He goes on to say, he says, to speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world, love this, The Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. As the soul is present in every part of that body while remaining distinct from it, so Christians are found in all the cities of the world but cannot be identified with the world. What they believed and how they behaved was different. And they were different in three key areas in their relationship to money. They were different. They were poor, yet they enriched many. They shared. They were generous. They were helpful financially. They were different sexually. They lived in the flesh, but they didn't cave to the desires of the flesh. They didn't share their wives, he says. And they're different in terms of power. They didn't demand privileges. They didn't act like that this was it. They didn't act like that this... Country thing was their only hope. They were citizens of heaven. They gave up their power. They submitted. And they didn't demand privileges and power. They were different. And the way we have to live in these last days is we got to set our hope in the living God. Is your hope in the living God today? And then you have to let this living God determine the agenda for your lifestyle and for your life. Let me pray as we prepare to take communion. Lord, thank you for your word. And uh, we just give you all, all the praise. And, and we just we stop right now. We all have moments where 
we feel like things are out of control. Maybe that, that maybe there's accidents or maybe chance is determining things more than, more than your sovereign will. Maybe, maybe things have gotten out of control even outside of the realm of providence. And yet, God, we stop and we acknowledge that you are on the throne, that every detail in this world is allowed by you, that your will is being done, that you are leading all things for your glory and for the good of those who love you and been called according to your purposes. And even in our own life, when our nights are dark and when our, when our mood is depressed, when our, uh, when our anger is heightened, Lord, we can come to you and be healed and we can be encouraged and we can be filled with hope. And I thank you that the sign of your love and your hope is that you gave your son Jesus and, and we celebrate him and we remember that he is the way to you. He is what makes us right with you. God, encourage us with this. Well, guys, y'all can leave in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Eat well, love well, have hope in the living God, and let him set the agenda for your life this week. God bless. I'll see you next week.